Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voisin, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from New Hampshire on the other side of the country, because I'm here in San Diego, is Thomas Moore. And we're going to be speaking about Thomas's new book. You want to hold that up, Thomas? Just so we have a, just came out today, Thomas Moore, The Eloquence of Silence, uh, Surprising Wisdom and Tales of Emptiness. And it is really a wonderful book. And I want my listeners, we'll put a link uh, to the website, you can go to thomasmoresoul.com, and that's M-O-O-R-E, thomasmoresoul.com is a place to learn more about Thomas More. Um, Thomas, not all my listeners know you, even though you've been on the podcast a couple of times before. Um, I'm going to tell them a tad bit about you first before we get started. And uh, he's the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Care of the Soul. He has written 24 other books about bringing soul to personal life and culture, deepening spirituality, humanizing medicine, finding meaningful work, uh, imagining sexuality with soul, and doing religion in a fresh way. In his youth, he was a Catholic monk and studied music composition. He has a PhD in religious studies from Syracuse University and was a university professor for a number of years. He's also a psychotherapist influenced by J.C. Young and James Hillman. And the list goes on and on and on. But that's a good introduction. Believe it or not, um, James Hillman's son uh, who lives in St. Louis, has been on my show many times talking about the archetypes. He's a wonderful, um, I'm going to even call him young man because he's younger than me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that you know him. You know, um, I found reading this book and the quotes that you did and then the stories you gave to be really quite interesting. And, you know, you start the introduction of the book off um, about making this track that we were just talking about before we got on the air, going all the way across the country. And at this point, it was to Portland, Oregon, to talk in a book signing. Um, and you're saying, now nah, you don't have to do that. You just come on the Zoom calls and do this. Um, but for the book, The Care of the Soul, I remember reading, you got into the bookstore. The guy said, well, people are coming. Sometimes they're late. You sat there, you sat there. And an hour later, uh, you waited over an hour and no one showed up for your talk. Um, and the guy said, well, I guess maybe we ought to cancel it, right? So you walked back to your hotel in reflection of the evening's events. Um, and you mentioned that this is a story of emptiness and not to be attached to kind of an outcome. You know, it's like we can all, from a Buddhist standpoint, get attached to these outcomes. What would you want the listeners to take away from that little introductory story uh, about you going to a book signing where no one showed up? <laughs> well, I think I think that's a very good example of emptiness in practice. You know, it's actually happening. And that was a, an event in my own life that I've never forgotten because it was my first book bookstore appearance. And uh, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't, And I had my doubts about the book anyway. I 
didn't really. Th- I, I kept asking my agent if I'd have to pay back the advance I got because I didn't <laughs> expect anyone to buy it. Huh. And uh, but it turned out to be pretty good. But uh, but I, I got to that store and it was empty, really, and empty in the sense that no people showed up. So I think that's. I'd like to have that as the opening story of this book because emptiness is just part of ordinary life. And if you have it, if you have this in your mind, empty, you know that emptiness can show itself in all different ways, and it doesn't have to be negative. It's the idea is not to be negative. Yeah, and I I think that emptiness, loneliness, different things. Um, but you talked about this great spiritual teacher, and I don't want to mess up his name, N-A-S-R-U-D-I-N, Nazarind. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I've heard different versions, but I think it, I, I say Nazruddin. Yeah, Nazruddin. Yeah. In your chapter, and you call this the missing ring, um, I'd love you to relate the story to the listeners and what place that emptiness has in our relationships? Okay, well, the, the story is a very simple one. Like all these stories, there are many of them about Nasrudin. Yeah, they're all. Yeah, they're all. He's, a, he's kind of a character, a set character, and usually he's a teacher. And um, he's living in a village, and one of the villagers come to comes to him and says, "I've been studying with you all these years, and it's meant so much to me. But now I've been called to go and move to another place altogether." And um, I was thinking, I when I've seen you, I've seen you wearing this ring on your finger, and I thought that if you would give me that ring, and I wore it on my finger, then every time I looked at it when I was away, I'd be reminded of you. And Nasruddin, who in other stories is not usually willing to give up too much of his own possessions, uh, he says, uh, well, I have a better idea. He says, why don't I keep my ring? And now every time you look at your finger and there's no ring there, you'll think of me. So I think that's a perfect story of emptiness. There you are. You know, you have the mind, as many of us do, to have something. We want something. We want things all the time. And uh, instead of having something, we have nothing. And the nothing, is, is the teacher says, is more effective than the something. I think that's a perfect story, what I'm trying to get at here, that, uh, that emptiness can bring a lot of benefits to us. Not having something, not saying something, um, not getting anywhere, uh, you know, all these things, not knowing something, forgetting, all of these experiences that are part of daily life can be useful to us if we could see them that way. If we could get out of the modern way of seeing all emptiness as being an absence and a lack and something negative. I think these stories tell us to to appreciate the emptiness when it comes into our lives. Yeah, it is a kind of an odd thing living in the Western world. And I won't say just the Western world. I think much of the world today is uh, filled with something. In other words, there's always something or there's something more. And as you know, being a psychotherapist, you know, I've done so many of these interviews where it's like, okay, well, you're going to get rid of the ego. Well, you're not going to get rid of the ego. The ego is always going to be there. It's always going to be telling you you're maybe not enough or you're doing whatever. But when it comes to us, our society, um, 
filling us with always saying there's got to be something more, right? Um, that we need something more, that you, you know, it drives our economy, it drives the world. Um, what would kind of be your comment on that? Because that's, in one sense, that is not emptiness, that saying, okay, here's something that's going to satisfy you. And almost 100% of the time, it never does. Yes, it doesn't satisfy. Um, because I think the main reason is that the ultimate object of desire is is beyond imagining. It's uh, It's very mysterious and profound. Uh, so all these other desires we have and the satisfaction of them don't satisfy because they point to something greater, something bigger all the time. And actually, I feel that this this idea of emptiness, which is elaborated and discussed uh, a, a great deal in the Eastern world, the Eastern spiritualities, um, is actually takes you there faster than something. Not having something will take you there faster. Now, you mentioned that I was a monk for a number of years. That was a long time ago when I was a young man. And I, I love that life. And there was a lot of emptiness in it. There was a lot of quiet, which is the empty, you know, emptying speech. Uh, there was a lot of quiet and silence. And there was a little ownership. We had a vow of poverty, actually, no ownership, really, not worrying about things and gathering things. So I lived from the very beginning a life of considerable emptiness, and I found it very joyful. I found it that it, that it was great. It was, and I try to bring as much of that into my current life as I can. Well, it also reflects in the books that you write, right? So when you look at someone's journey, it's always interesting to look at a journey and see where they went as a result of you being this monk, you know. And you know, you, you have a chapter about the lost arrow and the great master archer, you know, and in this story, it's a very good example about the empty bowstring and how to exercise the power and be effective in the world. And I remember, you know, this archer saying, hey, go, let's go see the master bow, the, the master who's out there shooting arrows and into the air, but there's no arrow in the bow. Um, can you tell the story and how sometimes it's more effective to be quiet instead of speaking in this case? It was a great story. I loved it because it, it it's like, hey, how's this guy shooting birds out of the sky? <laughs> Quick, just quickly, the story is about a, a, a man who was a, a, a teacher of archery and his students told him that there was a, they they heard about this wonderful teacher other teacher that was archer up in the mountain so they all went up to the mountains to to you know behold and see this great archer and when they got there they saw this uh, elderly man on the mountain and he he had a few of his students around him and he he had a bow in his hand but he had no arrow to be seen anywhere and as he was teaching, this bird flew over, and he he pulled his bow back, but there was nothing there, no arrow, and he released nothing, and the bird came down. And so the uh, the, the the newer teacher who had come there was amazed and decided to become his student. And the whole point was that he was able to have a 
a weapon, or you might say a piece of uh, technology, something in, that he could normally would be used in a certain way with a, a bow and arrow, obviously. And nothingness in his case was more effective. I think that's that's really back to our theme of uh, being able to do something without much. Uh, I'll tell you an example in my own experience is uh, I find that many times when I give talks uh, that I don't uh, come, I don't go out to, on the stage with any notes in my hand. Uh, sometimes I put them in my pocket, but I don't take them out of my pocket. And and sometimes I, uh, if there's a green room or a place I can be by myself before a talk, I will sit there and try to empty my mind so that when I go out on the stage, it's empty. I did that once in a Unitarian church. And I didn't do it with much intention. I just something that I always do. And it was in my nearby my home. I didn't, I wasn't worried about it too much. I don't know why, but I wasn't. And I, I gave this talk for an hour without any notes or any preparation, really. And um, when it was over, these people came up to me and they asked me to join their organization, which was some sort of international association of giving talks without notes, of, uh, of speaking without <laughs> Without preparation, I didn't think of it as a thing. I thought of it as just the way I want to do it. In other words, my way of doing it was empty, but their way wasn't. It wasn't very empty. Uh, one of the things I say in this book over and over again is that emptiness itself has to be empty. You know, you, you, you when you do this, you you can't do it in such a way that you're you know playing a trick on someone. Right. It's, it's not sleight of hand. It's got to be. It's got to be pure in a way, you know, you really have to do it. So whatever it is that you do in an empty way, just do it. And uh, and I think the effect is going to be a surprisingly powerful, just as it is in the story of the bow. It, you know, when you say that without notes, you know, it to a degree, somebody of a spiritual nature is can rely on a higher power to actually have the flow come through them. I know when I've written my books, if I sit without distraction, and I always say a book flows through you, and I would probably say most good writers, that's how it does happen. You, Whether you sense it or hear it, or you get a voice, or you get a feeling, or whatever it might be, and that's what you're saying when you approach the stage without the notes, you literally just allowed the essence of Thomas More to come through, but in essence, more likely a higher power than Thomas More, which is what makes the uh, makes it so powerful. You know the talk. Um, yes, and and to do that, you have to do what what in Christianity is called kenosis. That's their word for emptying. The the in, in uh, Buddhist and. Uh, uh, more uh, other Eastern spiritualities call it shunyata, that kind of emptiness. The Christians call it kenosis, which really means a particular kind of emptying, which is an emptying of yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that just what you said. I've had that experience, uh, you know, for years. That the only the only book that can be written is one that I get out of the way, where I get out of the way, and the the book is is written something. Yeah, it's it is kind of amazing. You know, one of the uh, teachers and book writing will say, you know, just write, write, write as much as you can. And, you know, don't reread what you've written, right? In other words, just keep writing. 
And then when you're ready to edit, go edit and do what you're going to do. Everybody's got a technique, but it all comes around, like you say, emptying. The emptier you can be, the greater the channel, I'm going to say channel you can be to have uh, sacred energy come into you and through you to make this happen. And you mentioned that you're inspired to allow empty space all over your life, times for doing nothing, gaps for daily uh uh, gaps in your daily schedule, not going to a place uh, where you were asked, encouraged to go, saying no to a job offer you wrote in the book. If you would talk to the listeners about creating empty space, because there's um, there's this thing in the modern world today uh, called FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, and when you look at this device that most people carry today. Um, this is probably the quintessential fear of missing out device because I call it downhead syndrome. That's my thing because I've actually had people run into me looking at this device and have no awareness of their space at all. And their head certainly isn't empty. Um, what would you try and tell people that are going to live their lives and practice more of this versus? you know, always looking to this FOMO, the fear of missing out, that there's something that's going to come across that phone that I really have to have, which in essence we know is totally impractical. You know, the version of that that I run into in my work is a, a fear of not knowing something. Uh, there are a lot of people that I know who, like let's say in the medical world or in the psychology realm, who who believe that they should know everything, that when someone asks them a question, they better have the answer to it. And, and I think that's a good place where emptiness can come along. I remember once working with a man who was a psychiatrist, and he kept, uh, he spent most of his time getting credentials uh, in everything you can think of, you know, to fill up his, his uh, I guess his education, he obviously felt insecure about what he knew and what he was capable of. And I felt that that filling up was just the wrong direction to go. I, he should have sat with his emptiness, you know, sat with his ignorance and, the, and be able to be ignorant when people asked a question. You could say, well, I'll look that up or, you know, that now that's one thing I've never thought about. You know, you can, you, you can, you can kind of go with the emptiness by acknowledging your, your ignorance about something. And that, that's another version of emptiness that I think could be very, uh, effective, very helpful for many people today. If, uh, if they can practice it, give it a try. Well, they're trying to fill up something because something I think, and I'm not going to psychoanalyze is missing. Um, and you had the empty plate story again uh, with the same character. Um, I thought that relating this story would be good for the listeners and the message you were con uh, conveying about Sato emptiness. Um, in other words, I think that, you know, that this was a great story in the book and it relates to what we were just talking about. So do you want to comment about that, if you would, or tell the story yeah, and then comment? Sure. Just briefly. It's a very short story. Right. It's very it, short. Yes, <laughs> Din and a village official were having dinner together, and uh, the, the official was, was uh, didn't like uh, Nasruddin, and 
at uh, at, at the at the end of the meal, uh, these melons were served for dessert, and the man, uh, the official, ate all of his ate his uh, his melons and had his peels on his plate, and he poured them over on to put them on Nasruddin's plate. And then he said to Nasruddin, he said, Nasruddin, he said, you're a glutton. And uh, Nasruddin looked at his plate and he said, yes, but at least I didn't eat the rinds. And I think that that story is uh, another empty story because this man's plate was empty, but it wasn't empty in that good sense, you know, in that sense of, of real emptiness. It was more that... Uh, uh, he was using it, and and uh, when you do emptiness that way, it doesn't work. It's like people might say, "Oh, um, you know, I really don't know anything. You know, my education has been not as good as I wish it had, and that sort of thing." That kind of looking for pity with your emptiness, what you don't know, is not empty, right? It's not because you're manipulating the situation. So one way to see where emptiness is absent is when you're manipulating something, because that itself is a kind of filling in rather than allowing the emptiness just to be. Yeah, I mean, I know in your having been a monk, you spent many uh, days in silence, you know, and I know for us out here, I go to a meditation, I try to go as often as can. It's a retreat in the Orcas Islands, and I'm and I'm reflecting on this right now because I'm going to go in August. And we spend three days in complete, utter silence. And it's interesting how you have to kind of gradually come down into silence and emptiness. And then when you leave this retreat, and I think many people listening can relate, and you go back to what is considered, quote, the real world, you're in shock. You're like, oh my gosh, is this the world that I live in versus this world I was just in where I spent time in meditation, in contemplation, uh, emptiness, um, you know, even evenings where there's not a meal, right? Like, because everybody's used to eating an evening meal, right? So I, I found it, that empty plate story really compelling. And you also talked about the gospel of thomas you tell the story about the leaky sack where the woman's carrying a sack full of grain and slowly she walks home the sack has a hole in it and when she arrives back home she discovers it's empty now that's uh, the story that jesus told but if you would speak with us about the message about the empty sack and the message jesus was conveying uh, through that leaky sack story um, i i really enjoyed that story I, I love that story. It's from the Gospel of Thomas. And the uh, Gospel of Thomas is perhaps the earliest gospel we have. And uh, it's a gospel of sayings of Jesus. And not too much happens, but there are a lot of stories. And in this story, I think what's key about the story is that uh, it's the main image is of an empty sack. There's nothing left in it. And this is the story about what the kingdom is like. That, that means... The, the way of life that Jesus is promoting in his teaching. It's empty, really. There's nothing there. And that's not the way it's happened in history. You know, we, instead of being empty, we've had huge churches. And uh, as I say in there, we have, in one of the stories, we have, uh, we have so many sermons have been giving over, over the century, have been given over the centuries that probably would, we'd be better off if 
They just had been silenced. You know, there's just so much. How many political speeches would, would it be better off if they hadn't been given? You know, there's just way too many words in our world. That's another way silence is offended. We're not really, we're not benefiting from it. So this story of emptiness, I think, is really important for for people who follow the way of Jesus, which is to realize that uh, there's a certain poverty of spirit that he typically teaches that is very close to emptiness. So if you can... uh, and not have to be like he says. You don't have to be in charge. Be the servant. Don't be. You know. Don't. You're not first. Be last. Uh, that kind of thing is an emptying out. Emptying out of the self that goes on over and over again. I think that's one of the key teachings of Jesus, and yet it's one that is, as far as I can see, it's not either preached, taught, or practiced. So uh, I think we're missing out something there. Well, it was interesting you say that because um, uh, as you're talking about it, I remember uh, my son and I, my son got leukemia and we decided to come together and do uh, work together. And we created a course called Never Mind the Noise, Thriving in a World of Ever-Increasing Complexity. And, you know, we would go out and we would go into this world, of, let's just say, like you said, travel somewhere and then put on this workshop for people who'd never meditated, never been mindful, never did anything. And what happened is the workshop got so massive, people coming from all over because these UPS people and these people from FedEx, logistics people would come to these meetings and they go, you got to go to that seminar that Voison's doing because we actually got to spend 15 minutes in silence, right? They had never experienced 15 minutes of silence So they didn't know what it was like because their life was always full. It was always full of something, especially I'm using the logistics community, but we did many. You can imagine what it's like to run something like a FedEx or a UPS. It's always time. We got to get something here. We got to get it there. We got to do this, got to do that. And so um, it was quite a, a benefit to these people to start a new practice of, hey, if I could at least just silence myself in the morning for a little bit. And my day would go easier. It would go better. Uh, it would be more peaceful. Now, you recite a poem uh, by Roa Ken. Uh, in the poem, he talks about the stringless lute that can only be heard by the deaf person. Um, and again, I love the analogy. Um, your father was a great musician. Um, and you learned to play piano. And you also realized that your father had perfect pitch. Um, I drive myself, I drive my wife crazy because she's a piano teacher. And right across the hall from me here, she said, How long are you going to be on your podcast today? Because I got to get to the piano. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but you know, you use the story to relay the fact that quiet is a form of emptiness and it's important for people who need to reflect and remember. And you say, in our noisy noisy world today, what you teach is so important. What practices can make us more aware of emptiness, silence, and the benefits of having this in our lives? What are those practices that can help us actually flip the switch to knowing that having more emptiness and more, you call it the eloquence of silence, where the eloquence of silence would benefit us more? What are some of them? 
Well, they're, they're, they're pretty basic and simple. One obvious is uh, to be able to uh, go for a walk in nature. Uh, I'm currently working on a book on uh, Henry David Thoreau. And, you know, he just, he, he, that was one of his basic teachings, telling people to walk. And he tells you that when you walk, go out, go outside your door, open your door and don't decide where to go. Just go. That's part of his, his idea. And I think it's such a wonderful thought that, uh, again, see, that's empty. It's like you're empty of intention and you go for a walk. And you just go and you don't, you're not heading anywhere. Like there's no destination for you. You're just walking. And he calls it sauntering. You know, you are, you're going along. And I think that would, that would be a very simple practice that anyone could do. It's so basic. It's so simple. Yeah. Just go for a short walk if you want just a short walk and, and go into some form of nature, no matter where you live at some form, a park or someplace. And maybe near water, uh, one of the teachers I have from the Italian Renaissance says you should walk by sparkling water. That's his particular recommendation. And I think that's well, if you're near, if you're near a lake or a stream, yeah. in my in my case, I'm near. I'm literally like two miles from the Pacific Ocean. So, yeah. I mean, taking a stroll on the beach or at least near the beach, it's one of my favorite things to do. Um, what are some of the other things that the listeners might want to do? Well, I, I'm a great believer in the arts as having uh, intention, having a purpose in life, you know, the arts. So I think you can learn, you can learn a great deal about uh, emptiness through from the arts. If let's say you go to a, an art gallery or an art museum, they're usually pretty sparse and quiet, you know, and if you really, if you really get into the spirit of the place, and if you go and, and let the paintings, if, if it's a, a visual art museum, let the paintings uh, guide you, take you, rather than go with a lot of intention. Uh, I don't recommend art education for this particular purpose. The art education is for something else. In this case, I think it's more important to have a real encounter with a piece of art or a piece of music. And and if you do that, that would be good preparation for being in life where you are more active, like let's say in your work or in, in relationships and things like that. If you are doing it in art and in nature, you will have been practicing it so that when it comes to the real world situations, you know what you're looking for and you can tap into that. Well, you know, I've always been a person, and I, I think based on what I can see from your pictures on the website, you know, you love the outdoors, but, you know, gardening, right? So I always say, I found this wonderful show called uh, Garden Chronicles on Netflix, which, it, you know, these people have huge estates with these gardens that are massive in Pennsylvania and all these other states. But I actually have friends who belong to these gardening clubs. And they just go and they sit in these gardens and they sit and look at nature and the bees and the birds and listen to the birds sing. And I think it is so natural, not unnatural to be in that silence, to be in nature like that, because that's what nature teaches you is the importance of that. And in your chapter, Nothing is Natural, you cite Suzuki. And I'm going to paraphrase the quote because it's just a little bit too long, but it says, true being comes out of nothingness, moment after moment. Nothingness is always there. And from it, everything appears. 
you go on to state that the person who is forever scheming inside their head appears neurotic. Uh, too many layers of intentionality. How can we allow our thoughts and actions to arise from nothingness, from an empty place, so we are not perceived as being, in this case, you said, untrustworthy? Because the reality is, is that somebody who's always scheming can have that appearance. Well, yeah, I think everyone has, understands this. If you're, if you are engaged, engaging in conversation with someone, you can tell when they have some agenda going on, something is going on. They want to, they want to impress you or they want to uh, win. They want to win an argument with you or they want to persuade you to something. There often there's something going on. And that means, you know, when I say that there's something going on, what we want is nothing going on. If if we're doing this uh, with emptiness, so if you could be with someone and you realize, oh, there, there's no agenda here. I just feel like this person's really here, and I can trust the situation. We can be we can be closer in our conversation because uh, there's emptiness at the root. There's there's nothing there's nothing where when a lot of conversations there's something there's there's some manipulation going on or at least some effort to try to uh control you or persuade you and this and if you if you are with someone and you don't feel that you are sensing emptiness and that that creates trust yeah and i think the when you are doing that you're kind of manipulating the conversation in other words it's having that agenda ahead of time versus just being present and being with somebody um they always used to say well they're just waiting for someone else to talk, right? In other words, it was like, okay, so what's the next person going to say versus there being a great pause of silence? There's always this uncomfortableness with great pauses of silence because uh, people aren't used to it. They're like, well, if Thomas just sat there right now and on the other end of this camera, there was nothing, the people would be like, well, what? The, where the hell did he go? Um, what <laughs> happened to him, right? On the other hand, there is a, a beauty that comes out of that and an importance, and that's what we're trying to say. And I, I like this one because this is the, the one where the chapter is, there is no driver. You tell another story about Nazardin and riding in a double-decker bus in London, goes to the upper deck, and then it's um, he looks around and he sees there's nobody there. He comes down to the lower level. The ticket collector says to him, what's the problem? He replies, there is no driver up here. Uh, you mentioned that to listen to the dreams of others almost every day. You do. You said you listen to the dreams of others every day. What is familiar about the story and our unwillingness to let someone else drive uh, and our need to be in control and be the driver? You know, because when you, when you, uh, analyze dreams. If you are a psych psychotherapist and at some point in your life and you were talking with people and talking with them about their dreams, you would hear most of the time that people had to be in control. Yes. And you hear, I hear a lot of dreams about vehicles of all kinds, especially yeah. automobiles, but also bicycles and motorbikes and, and, uh, trains and planes. You hear a lot of vehicle dreams and many of them. 
uh, the dream is focused on the on particularly on who's driving and where the dreamer is. Like, let's say if you have an automobile dream, a big issue is where is the dreamer sitting? Where where is and and who is driving? If anyone is driving, sometimes there's no driver. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so um, all of that is very very significant. You can imagine the complicated and and deep deepening conversation that can come from a dream like that because we're talking about what who's in charge and who's in control of what's going on here and people are very interested in that because that's a big part of life and my can i be out of control is that okay can i uh can i let this person be in charge or not in marriage you know you say can i let my partner be in charge and make some decisions can i feel okay with that yeah a lot of that is then you, you see it's kind of uh, re, uh, um, comes together in a dream of a car when you're driving. So I think the story of Nasruddin being in the bus is a very good one. And also, I like the idea of the fact that it's about there's no driver up there, you know, up high. It's like so many people want, a, you know, someone in heaven driving your life or something they someone's in charge what and if someone says well maybe there isn't uh maybe there are no puppet strings maybe there's nothing nothing actually driving your life um can you live that way can you live without having someone in charge can you let go of controls for a while that's those are all very big questions in anyone's life well, you bring up a really important point, and for those of you out there who haven't watched the movie called Still about Michael J. Fox and his Parkinson's disease and the fact that he's been living with it since his early 30s and hiding it and trying to stay in control and now is at a point where the Parkinson's has fully taken over. It gives you a perspective of, if you think about Michael J. Fox, he's raised a billion dollars for the study on, on uh, Parkinson's. Um, and the reason it's called still is because he so much wants to be still, but the tremors are just so crazy that he can't stay still. But it, it, it's that incident in his life that he had to learn and go through and deplicts it, allowing others, even to this day, he doesn't like anyone to be in control. He still doesn't like it, even though he could use more of the help. It's always been part of his personality. He is the driver. And he admits that he's the driver and he realizes the faults of being the driver. But the reality is he hasn't learned how to let control, let go of control. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of people like that in this world, Thomas. <laughs> yes, I think that's true. But I think if you listen closely to his story, that he has come to, you know, it's, it's like I was saying before about making sure your emptiness is empty. He has uh, allowed his. I think to some extent, my impression would be that he's allowed his uh, need for control to be emptied by his right. Parkinson's. Right. So not that he doesn't have it, but empty in the in this sense, that this emptiness we're talking about is not literal. It's not like getting rid of something. Right. It's it's having a certain hollowness in the center of it that it doesn't it doesn't have that ultimate power over you that it would have otherwise. You still can go along living life the way you do, and it can be empty even though it doesn't look empty. 
it's all a matter of how you how you deal with it and and also i think how if you care about how the outside world sees you the perception but the reality for you is is that these practices um the walks in the park the meditation the things that you can do to quiet your mind but more important stay in this eloquence of silence um that really can deliver you to a whole new place in your life if you give it the opportunity to be there and the, this book is filled with great stories wisdom advice sound advice about the fact that silence is a great teacher um as a close to our interview what advice would you like to leave our listeners with about cultivating a life with more silence emptiness and simplicity um well one thing first of all is that you have to understand that this is not the way of the world that we live in no and, it is not no <laughs> so i think if you really want to give this a try you have to be willing to be a word i've been using for years and years uh eccentric you have to be you have to be outside the center of uh, the circle yeah of, of common life here and you have to be willing to be different and to do things in a different way actually i find eccentricity to be very liberating because it means you're not then just complying with what everyone around you wants you to be and do and that is tremendously liberating and you don't have to overdo it in your eccentricity but you can be an individual and uh and there's a very slight difference between really being an individual and being eccentric and being, i find some of the uh, most interesting people are eccentric and i think that's because they're also extremely curious and what i find interesting is i've done these hundreds and thousands I'm over a thousand interviews that some of the most interesting people like yourself i guarantee you're eccentric you couldn't have written <laughs> the kind of books that you've written without being that way but i find that the dialogue that we have is much deeper that it's more interesting that it's something i'm interested in because i'm still on the journey and i think every listener out there who's on the journey of return is on the journey of some path of spirituality needs to get a copy of your book i mean i'll put a plug in for it because if you have a library of books and you really want to pick up a book and you want to like take a little bit deeper dive this can you hold the book up again this would be a good chance to hold this brand new one today is the day uh right. you can get this on amazon it's called the eloquence of silence surprising wisdom and tales of emptiness and it is you've done a masterful job of weaving it together or some other source helped you weave it together because you were listening um and we'll put it that way but for all of you who are listening uh and you you want to learn more about Thomas's books uh the care of the soul which he and I did an interview on which is an awesome book just go to thomas more m o o r e soul s o u l dot com there you can learn more about him the books uh connecting with him courses uh videos all kinds of things that he has up there available to somebody that wants to take a deeper dive and thomas 
namaste to you today. Thank you for being my guest on Inside Personal Growth and taking the time to be with our listeners. Um, Again, everybody, brand new book just broke today, Thomas More, The Eloquence of Silence. Thanks, Thomas. Any last parting words? Only, Greg, that it's always a great opportunity for me to talk with you and to have have a conversation like this that models what this book is about. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. As I've gotten a little bit older and wiser, I think I've gotten better at what I do. (laughs) I I probably haven't perfected the part about interruption, you know, because I get some people on here that you kind of have to move along because you only have so much time. So sometimes I do have to interrupt, but I try not to. I really do. But I appreciate you so much. Thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.